Hello, everyone, and welcome to the broadcast. TCU loses to Colorado 45-42 in front of a record-breaking crowd. It was hot, it was packed, and it was disappointing. We're not going to pull any punches. We're going to eat some crow. We'll talk about that. Some things going on across the Big 12 that at least give us the slightest bit of joy. That and a few things more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Jeremy, about a week ago, you and I were on this very podcast, and we we set out some high expectations. We did our near-identical predictions for the Frogs, and we're already in the ditch. We couldn't even get to week seven. Everybody was talking about, oh, I thought we'd get 7-0 and easy. You and Jamie on your post-game YouTube that I really liked, I hope you guys keep doing that, you both said, I thought we'd start 7-0. and Well, the Frogs don't start 7-0. and They're starting 0-1. We'll get into everything that went wrong and what uh, maybe a few things that went right, but just what was what was on your heart and what was on your keyboard as you watched that uh, clock kick down to triple zero and the frogs lose to Colorado. Disbelief. I mean, last year you had the highest of highs and already won your to the lowest of lows. I, I don't think anyone predicted this. Um, I told Jamie in the post game that it was a lot like. You know, last year when we were watching TCU, no one really expected TCU to go out and play for the national championship game, and no one expected Colorado to come in and do what they were able to do. Um, I felt disappointed in myself because I felt like I got the fan base pumped up for this, and, you know, I did see really good things in fall camp. It's not like, you know, they went out there and looked completely different. I mean, defensively I could probably say that and we'll get into that later but um you know like you said at the beginning of the show there's a lot of crow to be eaten myself included I'm full um I've had a lot of that in the last two days uh number one did not think Colorado was going to be as talented as they were um I did not think that Deion Sanders was going to be able to coach them to that much success early on um Shadur Sanders I was completely wrong about I never said he was bad. I just didn't know how good he can compete um, because we've never seen this level of competition for him all the way back to high school. So, offense, I've got a lot of optimism for TCU. Defense, there's not so much. I mean, and, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But, yeah, disbelief was is probably the best word I can describe to you um, as soon as that final – second um ticked off the clock on saturday you know i think disbelief is a is a good way to sum that up you know even after the frogs you know when when they took the lead and they went they went back and forth i think the lead changed hands three or four times there in the in the fourth quarter i mean it just was going back and forth even when the frogs took the lead uh multiple times never did i think they're about to put the game away or they're going to get a stop and march right down the field and score again, which they never did. My my distrust was proven uh, truth proven to be proven to be correct. And so for me, it's it was just that everything just felt so scattered and sloppy. Nothing felt as if it was congruent. Nothing felt as if it was clicking. And I know those are all subjective words that are just right up there with the eye test. But it never felt as if the offense had command of what they were trying to do, even when big plays were happening, even though there's some good things to celebrate. But it never felt like the defense, specifically the secondary, was ready to take the game and uh, and win it. I felt like they they just were playing to to not lose the whole time. And so there there was there was just this sense of unease 
from the first series that set in where the Frogs came out, three and out, and guess what? Colorado comes right down the field, and they score. So let's we'll, we'll talk about some things inside on the Frog side of the ball, but you, you highlighted a couple of this. Let's just go ahead and say what it is. Travis Hunter's the best player I've ever seen on the field. And that has, and that's not just because of what he did on offense or he made some great plays on defense. He played 120 snaps in the Texas Heat. First of all, let's never talk about the advantage the Frogs get in the Heat. Um, he took 120 snaps on both sides of the ball and dominated on both sides of the ball. One of four receivers for Colorado that was able to go for over 100 yards. And, you know, that interception down there on the goal line was that was beautiful. He baited, I think he baited Chandler into making that throw. What What was your observations of seeing what has got to be a guy that uh, at least Vegas is like, taking money on to be able to be a Heisman finalist? I told someone after, I think during the game, I said, we might see the first Heisman winner on a five or six win team. Um, and I was kind of discounting Colorado at the time too, not knowing they were going to end up scoring 45 points. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I think Obviously, if you look at the Heisman Trophy, you want to pick the best player in college football and what they do for their team. If you take Travis Hunter out of that game on Saturday, we're probably talking a two-touchdown win for TCU. There were so many plays that he made in that ball game that were difference makers. That long third and 16 reception he had where he caught it over Avery Helm, uh, the interception that you talked about, I said the same thing in the game thread it looked like he baited him. And, and I know uh, Emmanuel Alcho did a video about it. There's a difference. It's not – I 100% disagreed with what Emmanuel was saying. It's not just coaching. Sometimes you just have to have really good football players, really smart football players. Travis is not only extremely talented, athletic, physically put together he's an extremely smart football player he knew exactly what he was doing he even took two steps inside to act like he was going with the receiver and baited Chandler into thinking major Everhart was wide open so that play alone was very impressive but late in the game I'm I'm focused only on Travis Hunter because by that time I knew Shador Sanders was going to Travis I mean he if he needs a big play he's he's going to Travis Hunter he was running just as fast on the 129th play he played as he was the very first play he played. I mean, there was no letdown in his game at all. And that, to me, was the most impressive thing that I saw out of the guy. Playing in that type of heat, playing in that type of game, that environment, you're you're playing on the big big stage for the first time. I mean, if, if I'm a Heisman voter, week one, that dude gets – all my votes. I mean, it's not even close. He's the best player. And you talk about what the Heisman Trophy represents, what that particular player can do, that he, how he helps out his team and how successful they are. You take Travis Hunter out of that, I'll say it again, that they don't they don't win that game. It, that's, that's the simplest way I could say it. Travis Hunter, best football player that I saw over the weekend. It's going to sound like I'm not giving Deion Sanders his due because because I am because it all it all comes back to the head coach Sean Lewis. What do you say about the offensive coordinator for uh, Colorado? He had been the head coach at Kent State. He basically runs some ver- version of the veer and shoot, and <clears throat> he saw what Joe Gillespie, which we're going to transition into, was giving them, and they just ate our secondary alive. I felt like. 
their plan was predictable, especially after those first two series, and we never did a thing to stop it. But Sean Lewis uh, put put on a show, and, and and Shador Sanders did. You know, you you had had made some comments about him last week. I felt much the same way. It wasn't that I thought you know he was a Division two quarterback. It's that he'd never played against talent of of where there, like you said, there was never a an equal uh, talent on the field on both sides of the ball. And, and there was this week, and he tore him up. So I just want to give credit to Sean Lewis, and I want to give credit to Shore Sanders. That offense made us look really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, it was that it was an offense that took what TC was giving them every play. And you can't you can't play your safeties fifteen yards off a slot receiver and not expect to get some yardage gained against you. I mean, that's that's just how it is, and I. I don't know enough about the three-three-five to talk schematics and everything else. How they should change things. <clears throat> I'm just a lowly reporter. I'm not an ex-coach. I've never coached football at the collegiate level, pro level, anything like that. But what about arena just, league? <laughs> watching, watching from my untrained eye, when you when you have a a, a a trip set and you have one guy basically over there within five yards of each of those those receivers there's going to be success for the offense and that's what Shador Sanders was was doing they were they were just hitting those little short passes but I'll tell you what they were taking what TCU's defense was given given them but that kid can throw an incredibly good deep ball I mean he was putting some passes on the money he did a great job rolling out of the pocket creating some time if you would have told me Shador Sanders was going to throw for 510 yards I would have lost my mortgage. I mean, I, I mean, that's just how unpredictable this was. I mean, there's no one in America, with the exception of Dion or Shador and some Colorado players, that really felt that he was going to throw for 510 yards. But lo and behold, he does it. Um, the good thing is, you know, for TCU, they probably won't see another quarterback like that this year. And the bad news uh, for Colorado is, is that – everyone's going to know how good Shador Sanders is now, and they're going to prep for him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays moving forward, but he's another guy that just completely impressed me. And should he be on the Heisman ballot? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, before the season, I'm thinking three or four wins is a really good start for Dion. Now I'm looking at that offense that they have. Defense still has a lot of holes to fill, but the offense – I feel like they could score with anyone. Now, we don't know how good the offense truly is because it was against a pretty bad TCU defense. But it's not – for me, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they could win five or six ball games and get to a bowl game. And uh, we'll see how it goes. The more they win, the more it helps TCU if TCU decides to flip the switch and they start winning some ball games. Yeah, TCU fans, you want Colorado to keep winning. You do not want this to be one of two wins for them this season. You want them to run, uh, get, you know, run through the big uh, Pac-12 as best they can. You know what I felt like I was watching on the defensive side of the ball on Sunday or Saturday when I was watching TCU. I felt like I was watching a Mike, a late stage Mike Stoops defense, where they just were trying to do everything they could to not give up the big play and then still gave up the big play. A lot of arm tackling, a lot of soft coverage, 
and then just a lot of confidence that, oh, we can we can find a way to, to score a, just a little bit more than they do. It was kind of a poor man's version of the Patrick Mahomes-Baker uh, Mayfield game in, what was that, 2016, where they put up, you know, like 130 points in that game. That was... That's what I felt like I was watching. That was the emotion that I had. If if Mike Stoops' defense had had a had a smell, that's what I smelled from the stands on on Saturday. And and that's not a smell you want to have uh, associated with your program. You know, a couple of things. Uh, you know, no, we, it's we, not. I mean, as I, as that I, that's. Can you hear me? Okay, sorry, didn't yep. mean to cut you off. No, that's. I I agree with you, man, and. The, the missed tackles alone, that was one of the worst tackling performances I think I've ever seen a TCU football team have. And it's not really it, – to me, Jeff, it goes beyond just the tackling. And I'm not going to dog Joe Gillespie. I love Joe Gillespie. But there seems to be a trend now the last three games. You go back to – or you know, go go back four games: Kansas State in the Big Twelve Championship, Michigan, Georgia, and again Colorado. The last three games alone, you've given up 157 points. There's something, there's something wrong there, um, and it could be a laundry list of things that that are wrong. And I know we're going to get into well, it. Well, you know, hold on. Let me just stand up for one second here. I will take out the K State game. We held them to 28 points in regulation. I had more problems with Garrett Riley in the Big 12 title game than I did with with Gillespie. And, you know, if you can give up 28 points in regulation and uh, not win with that offense, that's that's on the offensive side of the ball. That being said, yes, Michigan, uh, Georgia, absolutely in this one. Those three are a, are a bad uh, sample size to be able to examine because it, it has not gone well. I, I think I will say this and then hand it back to you. Stop your damn overreacting. We're not firing a – defensive coordinator that got the frogs to the national title game last year so you know everybody whose automatic reply <laughs> is fire gillespie uh just just you know get, you know sit in a corner just you know go get your shine box Ch- chill out we're gonna figure it, this out yeah it's not gonna happen because those same guys that were saying that were singing his praises after they held texas to 10 points last year i know They're basically I know. basically three points um that's that's the thing like we get it. People are frustrated, but Sonny's not going to make an irrational decision to go fire a coach one game into the season when they haven't even played a conference game. Now, if we look up eight, nine games down the road and TCU still scoring 40-something points on offense, they're giving up 41 points, and they're barely winning these ball games, then yeah, you got you got to really you got to really take a look. But number one, I don't see Sonny as the kind of coach that's going to let someone go in the middle of the year. Um, I, you know, he's, he's a guy that evaluates things at the end of the year, but I'll never say never. Um, I, I never thought Gary Patterson would get fired during the, you know, after eight games during a season and that proved to be wrong. But I feel like with Sonny making that decision that, I mean, he's, I don't think he would do that. Um, unless something just gets drastically, drastically wrong. And the sad thing is we really won't know how the defense has improved until another three or four weeks after they've played, you know, the likes of SM, you know, Houston and SMU when you, you're playing um, good quarterbacks again and, and good offensive play callers. So it's going to be a good test for them the next few games. 
when we yell fire coordinator after one game, we sound like Aggies. That's all I have to say. Um, <laughs> but no, I don't think it'll be till I think SMU game will actually be a, a, a decent sample size to look at and say, all right, could we could we shut down what is a, a talented G5 team? And that's what they will continue to be referred to as even if when they're in the ACC. So that's what they will be formally referred to as on this podcast. You know, dry, you know, thinking about this game, reflecting on it the day after, two days after now, <clears throat> I found myself multiple times saying, you know, if just one or two more plays had gone our way, you know, we, we make that field goal. Um, we, we don't, th- you know, one of those two interceptions near the end zone are, are not picked off and they're, they're converted to a touchdown. One tackle in the open field on a big third down that the, the TCU could have won. And as I kept running that through my mind, what what I came back to was how many different teams said that about playing TCU last year? Baylor. They're thinking, man, if if they don't throw that interception that Bud Clark picks off in the end zone right before halftime, Baylor thinks they could have won that game. I I have Texas Tech fans getting my mentions saying how many blown calls there were that the Big 12 office apologized for because uh, if they hadn't had those blown calls, then they would have beaten TCU. Michigan fans still talk about the, the targeting call at the end of the game and, and the, the touchdown that gets overturned that gets fumbled on the goal line on the next play. There are so many scenarios, and, and even West Virginia. Throw in West Virginia. That was a three-point game until Savion Williams came down with that fourth down touchdown, fourth, fourth down touchdown catch at the end of the game to cover this is just the nature of college football. You're going to regress to the median or the means at some point. If you have that kind of advantage in terms of one score games and one or two possessions changing the game, it's going to break. It's going to break against you, uh, and it broke against the frogs. There's a lot of things that I thought were broken that TCU brought to the field, but if you're banking on one or two calls to go your way or one or two plays to break your way, that's just the nature of the game. And the frogs, it, it came up our way a lot last year, and it didn't come up their way on Saturday. So stop with the one or two plays change uh, change the whole game because one or two games change about one or two plays change about 40 or 50 percent of games in college football so I just wanted to get that part off my chest yeah I mean the that's what are we going to talk about the offense later go right now we are I'll just, just take it okay that as much as the you know fire Joe Gillespie stuff gets under your skin that's it kind of gets under my skin the same way how people were calling, you know, for Kendall after this game or, you know, saying it was the offense's fault because of the way he called the last drive. And <clears throat> Kendall wasn't perfect. Let me get that out of the way. And I've said that much on the board. And I posted these stats. I mean, they they totaled 541 yards against Colorado. Last year against a worse team in Garrett Riley's first game as an offensive coordinator they had like 413 total yards and they scored 31 points 31 offensive points because they had Darius Davis return a punt which made it 38 and we still have people saying this you know they they want to find flaws and and browse yeah he he probably could have called something different on that third and two that got intercepted probably could have called a run that's that's one play that I I look back and say, yeah, I probably would have ran the ball there. But at the same time, you probably you, you do have something there with Major Everhart at first, but then you got to realize, 
oh, crap, the best player on the field's over there reading this crap, and he just makes a hell of a football play. But other than that, they rush for 262. They would have loved to give the ball to Monty Bailey that last drive, but guess what? He was over there on the sidelines because he was cramping. And I don't know if anyone watched the post-game interview with Sonny yes, Dykes. He looked pretty pissed off about, about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he made a comment like, we don't know if he was really throwing shade on Imani or if he was throwing shade on the strength and conditioning, but it kind of it kind of sounded like both. I know it wasn't one or the other. It was either – I really feel like it was both um, that he was calling out. He makes a comment saying – They've got a guy, Travis Hunter, that could play over 120 plays, but we've got a guy that's over here cramping up that's not playing nearly as many plays. And we've put the best money into strength and conditioning. So I think it was kind of a shot at they need to get their guys a little bit better and ready to go. And, I, you know, personally, I think if Imani Bailey's out there, that last drive is different. Um, I, I think it's clear to see from everyone's perspective that Imani is your home run threat. Trey Sanders is the guy that if it's – First and go at the three-yard line, you're probably going to give the ball to Trey Sanders. He's a bigger bigger body, and he's he's going to score. He scored three touchdowns on Saturday. But I I, I don't think I, – I think people were going to this game. I had I had one of the Browse haters retweet one of my treats, uh, tweets from months ago when I talked about Browse being a good uh, offensive uh, coach that TCU picked up. And – I'm think I'm sitting here thinking like why in the heck would that guy re-? like people were hoping to see Browse fell and because TCU didn't win that game it's on him the Browse haters went into that game with the thought of if if TCU doesn't win let's blame it on Browse and to me that I mean that's just asinine to me it, it really is well let me as you all know I was. I was browse reluctant. We'll, we'll put it that way. I was browse reluctant for 40% on, on the field, 60%. I was a little uncomfortable off. I was uncomfortable off the field. And I came around to it because if Vic Bashimi signs off on it, then, then that's all right. doesn't mean I'm just a stooge that follows. But as one that was uh, browse reluctant, this game isn't on him. We put up a ton of points. We put up a ton of yards there's things that need to be worked out. You can come up with one play here or there that I didn't feel comfortable with, but this problem is not on Bryles. This problem is on uh, this problem is on the defense and and maybe on the strength and conditioning. You know, if if we're if we're not able to have our horse out there on that last drive, that's a question that I, I was, to be honest, quite quite surprised to see uh, Sonny Dykes kind of throw that out there. But this, this, this loss is not on our offensive coordinator that put up a lot more yards and a lot more points could have put up more points, but um, he didn't, you know, Browse didn't throw that interception. Chandler did. So I, two, I go ahead. Two of them, two of them, two, yeah, two of them, one in the end in zone. Red zone. Yeah. Both in the red zone, one on the three, one in the end zone. So yeah, that is not on our, that is not on Kendall Browse. One thing that, uh, Swint said this on the board. He made a a perfect point, and I agreed 100%. I couldn't like the comment enough, and I'm pretty sure you felt the same way. There was not a point in the second half where I felt the offense couldn't score or wouldn't score, but there also wasn't a point in the second half where I thought the defense could get a stop. And yeah, Never a moment. Never one moment. So if – and Swint said it perfectly. If you felt like that – then you know in your heart that this ball game was not on the offense. And it's it's true. Second half, 
TCU scored four of six possessions. The only two possessions they didn't score was when they started at the one. You had Amani with that long run, 74-yard run, and they got down to the five, and that's when Chandler threw the interception when he was trying to go to Everhart. Great play by Hunter. And this, the only other drive they didn't score, the last possession of the game. So every basically, essentially every time they got the football, even when they started inside their own one, they moved it at will. Now we're going to see how good or bad that offense is because we really don't know how good Colorado's defense is. We can't we can't analyze their defense. We we do know the guy that was calling plays on defense was at Alabama last year, so he knows what the hell he's doing on defense. But we don't know how good Colorado's defense is going to be, just how we don't know how good their offense is going to be. But to me, you rush for 262, you score 42 points, you don't give up any sacks, you throw for 279, you total 541 yards. If you see that stat line, you're thinking that's an easy win, plain and simple. If you disagree, you only disagree because you will not wherever give credit for Kendall Browles running a successful offense because you don't like Kendall Browles for who you think he is. I wrote something down in my notebook here I wanted to share. Um, <clears throat> this team reminds me of 2016. You know, even even game one here. Remember game one of 2016 against South Dakota State University, Jeremy? That was, a, that was an ugly game. The Frogs ended up winning. But I, I walked down and I paired – Player to player, four or five guys that I think kind of are comparables for from 2016 to 2023. Emmanuel Porter is Savion Williams. Height, potential, ability, yet to make it all happen, and questionable if it will. Dayon Wright is uh, is Williams, the JUCO wide receiver that came in that you think he should be able to do some things. He's got some capacity. He's got some ability. He did score a touchdown here in this in the game. I think we need to throw it to him more. But again, at this moment, he still hasn't produced anything that says, all right, this is the guy we got to go to over and over. Chandler Morris is Kenny Hill. He had one awesome, memorable game that everyone remembers, and now he's got to replace a legend. What do you think he's going to be able to do this? This is a guy that obviously has strong roots. People know both people knew who both of their dads were, and uh, there's going to be some questions there. Trey Sanders, here's the throwback for you. Remember Derek Green, the transfer running back from Michigan, five star. Oh yeah, five star yeah. recruit, serious. You know, from a winning program, comes in here at the end, and then finally something that should at least lift us up. John Paul Richardson is John Diars. He's just a go-to guy. We need to get the ball to him as much as we can. And and I had that same emotion about what the 2016 team felt like. You're coming off of, obviously, back-to-back top 10 finishes. You know, I had high expectations for 2016, and they were not met. And I am I don't want to uh, be a dodo bird here after one game and announce that the sky is falling, but this had a sniff of 2016, not, not only because – of all of the parallels of players and roles. Are my observations off base there, Jeremy? No, those are on point. That's great, man. Those are some – I forgot about Derek Green. Holy cow. That's a perfect comparison to Trey Sanders. 59-41 that game was, and I can't remember the guy's name, but they had a receiver that had like 18 catches or something stupid that no one could stop him. I mean, no one could cover him. He he went off on TCU, and that should have been the, you know, telling sign that, that this was going to be 
that was going to be a long year when you, when you give up 41 points. South Dakota State's a good football team, but it's, it was also an FCS team, so you, you definitely had some worries there. But I don't know, man. Should we jump into the things we didn't like about the defense? Are we still talking yeah. about that? Or Tell us still- what you don't like about the defense. Tackling number one. Tackling number one. The biggest concern I had coming into uh, fall camp, and I wrote it 100 times, you remember what it is? I'm going to go with tackling. No, they don't hit enough. No, the, the, the particular position group. Oh, what was oh, the position oh, group? Oh, oh. You had questions defensive. about defensive line, defensive end. Yeah. So, collectively, they had – I believe they finished with two sacks. There was no pressure hardly on Sanders. And someone mentioned it – someone mentioned it on the board. I don't know what thread it was. Dominic Williams was nowhere to be found. Like he, his name was called so many times last year in Boulder. It was funny because everyone, you know, everyone's talking about the seventeen-year-old doing this in college football. But honestly, his—I don't remember his name being called a whole lot. I look, didn't really look the stat line. I don't think he finished with a lot of tackles. Um, he moved around a little bit, but defensive line has some huge question marks. The linebacker core hey, that real quick. What's your start, what's your starting front three this week? If you if you were Joey Gillespie, man, I I'm going to start Rick DeBrew. I'm going to start DeBrew. I'm right there. With that's you. how you say his name, DeBrew. DeBrew. That that kid, watching him in pregame, you could tell he was like he was just breathing fire. He was he was ready to go. He brought a different energy about him, and this is this is kind of what I was talking about. Someone asked me about Chandler, and, you know, sometimes players aren't practice players, but they're just gamers. Sometimes gamers aren't good practice players. I think Rick's probably in that category of maybe he's just not a good practice player because he doesn't like practice. Maybe he just – maybe he wants to play in the game because when he got in the game, he showed a lot of things. And I will say Sonny did mention him a few times during fall camp that he was a guy that was coming on pretty strong. So he got here in the summer. He he wasn't – knowledgeable of the system as much as the other defensive linemen but i if i'm if i'm joe i start rick i start him at right in i still start paul paul had a sack i still think paul can do some good things and i still start dominic you know whether he played good or not against colorado he's still an all-american type he need he needs to have the breakout sophomore game and i think he can have it but that's that's who i'm going for the linebackers, linebackers was kind of what I was most disappointed about because I thought Jamoy and Johnny were going to be more athletic. They showed to be pretty athletic in fall camp. Dylan Edwards made them look like they were running in mud. True, I mean, true, freshman. Dylan, true, true freshman. True freshman. You want to hear a funny story about that? Yes. This is why, this is why you guys listening to the Frogcast. So <clears throat> I had a buddy of mine – tell me about Dylan when he was a junior. He was a junior. Um, I have a buddy up in Kansas that likes to tell me about a lot of Kansas recruits, and he's like, man, you got to see this kid. Watch this film. And so I watched this film, and I think at the time he only had Kansas and Kansas State. And he, they, My buddy told me, he's like, he's small, but you got to watch his film. He, he's, It's like a video game. And so I watched his film, and I call him back and said, man – this kid is unbelievable. 
And so I think I just called up the kid just to interview him. And TC wasn't even – TC didn't even know who he was. And so I kind of did a story just, you know, trying to see see if he what, – what kind of interest in programs he would have. And uh, it was evident early on that he liked TCU a lot. He came down to a camp, and he was on one of my camp – you go back and read uh, my camp stories from – not this past summer, I think when before his senior year, so I guess it would have been two summers ago. He's he's one of my premier players of the camp. He's he's on he's in there. But he's everyone that's met me, they know I'm not a tall man of stature. The kid's shorter than me. And but he ran something crazy like a four three eight at TCU's camp. And at the time, they really didn't like him. Jerry Kill didn't want to take him. Jerry, Jerry Kill had told Gary, I think this, I think it was, it was around his junior year. I think he had told Gary that they they shouldn't take him. He was too small. Um, oh my god! That's how. That's oh my gosh. yeah. So this, that's how. But the kid was now. This, this is the same kid that committed. I think this was. I think this is the same he was kid committed to Notre Dame. No, he committed to K State yeah. and then flipped to Notre Dame. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah, so. Very, man, I'm, I'm. It's driving me nuts. I can't remember if it was the summer before his junior year, or summer before his senior. Anyhow, he comes over to me. We're at the camp at TCU. We're on the Morris practice fields, and he comes over to me. And the kid introduces himself to me. He recognizes me. He comes over. And he's like, "Hey, I'm Dylan." Blah blah. And thank you for talking to me. Just a really great kid. Sorry to throw salt on the wound, Frog fans, but I'm just telling a story because um, it was pretty cool to see. That kid, you wish it had been against another team, but he's a special player, um, and it gives gives smaller guys a little bit of hope if they can run and make moves like he can. But Dylan, Dylan's going to be a successful back at Colorado. But it he made he made Jamoy and Johnny a lot slower than what I thought they were, um, and it opened my eyes a little bit because I think there's a situation where Johnny makes a lot of plays because he's smart. He's he's he's. You've heard the you've heard it when coaches tell you, Jeff. Like some some kids are four eight because they're they're four eight forties, but because they're so smart, they play at a four six level on the football field. And then there's also four six kids that are so dumb, can't recognize things that play a step slow that look like they're running four eights on defense because they don't know what the heck they're doing. Johnny's one of those kids that probably runs a four eight that looks like he's doing a four six because he knows what he's doing. But I, I got to be honest with you. I think Johnny's a hell of a football player, but I think in long situations where if they're going to have a guy covering a running back, i probably put Shad Banks in there because anyone that thinks Shad Banks is, th- is slow, just watch that Major Everhart 86-yard kickoff return and watch who's running out in front of him. And then he's running beside him. But Major Everhart was a freaking 10-3-8 kid in the 100 in high school. He was very, very – he's a very, very fast kid still. So – Linebacker was kind of – I wasn't impressed. Namdi, for his first start, six, seven tackles, I thought he was fine. I, I still think he's going to get better. I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit of a leash because this was really his first time to start at Starbacker. The corners, neither one of them played good. And Josh will tell you that straight up. Josh was so pissed off after the game. like He, he was giving us one-word answers. You could just tell he was mad. He know he didn't. He knows he didn't play a, a good game. 
and then the back secondary, the safeties. These were not these were not the kids that we saw in fall camp, and and maybe when you're playing against the same guys over and over and over, you get more comfortable. Just like I said, you get used to things, and when you know certain things are coming, you're gonna you're gonna pick up on them. You're gonna look good. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's maybe that's what I'm seeing. Um, I thought they were a pretty athletic defense coming in. This was supposed to be the strength of the team. They had seven returning starters. Not to mention guys like Abe Kamara and, you know, Avery Helms, a good transfer. They got two of the better JUCO guys. You have Caleb Fox coming back, you know, that played a lot of football. You had had a lot of guys that have played a lot of football, and they all look like they were making their first start on Saturday. Yeah, our defensive secondary looked bad. It was garbage. I'm not dogging the kids' character. I'm telling you, they did not play well, and they all know it. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear Josh Newton was pissed off. I'm glad to hear he wasn't happy because he shouldn't be. And if anybody's going to be the enforcer back there, it's going to be him. So, I know Nichols State will not be uh, the best measuring stick, but hopefully there'll at least be some intensity and get some get some better traits locked in and some better pre- preparation locked in. Would you? One of the assessments I'd heard. Tell me if you agree with this. Was that they almost TCU almost was thought this game was below them that that Colorado was everybody was saying they didn't belong and they were ready to go and TCU was like man we're better than them why do we have to play this it was almost like the Fiesta Bowl in reverse we were the ones saying they're going to line up in that three three five and we're going to run it at them we're the ones asking what conference that they're in and uh, the tables got turned and it didn't it didn't settle out very well for the frogs. Yeah, I I don't know if it got as bad as as Michigan. I think there was some overconfidence there. I don't I don't think I haven't heard a whole lot of the why do we have to play this team? We're way better than them. This, I haven't heard anything like that. But Sonny did say that he felt a lot of overconfidence. He felt like early on, even in pregame, there wasn't that certain intensity that he looks for before games. And he he told us all this after the game. He said he could see it from a mile away that Colorado had more intensity and they looked like they wanted to win this game more than what TCU wanted to do. And that's just mind-boggling to me because you're coming off an embarrassing loss. You want to get rid of that bad liquor taste that you have in your mouth. You want to throw mouthwash. You want to brush your teeth. You want to get rid of that on a national stage in front of everyone against a team that is so hyped because of their coach all these people are saying that you're going to win by 20 points. Overconfidence, not enough intensity. They did not know Colorado was going to come hit them in the mouth like they did. Well, anything else you want to talk about from the Colorado game before we transition to a few more things? Well, the positives for me, if there are some, Imani Bailey for sure. Um. I liked the offensive line. thought the offensive line played well. thought they did what they were supposed to do. I want to see the ball get more to Dalen Wright. I love the fact – I think I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that I don't know if there's a dog on this team at receiver, a true dog. I think he can be that dog. I think he's the guy that when he goes up and makes a play, he's going to get in the defensive back's face and, and tell you, I'm going to be here all day. I think he's that guy on offense. I think he can be that guy. I think John Paul Richardson is 
going to end up right where I predicted. He's going to lead the team in receiving. I, that was one of the few things I got right, Jeff. I didn't get a whole lot right out of fall camp, but I did say Jared Wiley or John, John Paul Richardson is going to lead this team in the receptions, and so far they're they're on their way. They both had six receptions the other day. Um, I, I, Jared Wiley, I still think he's – I mean, he's already got six catches. He had 24 last year. So he's he's going to shatter that. He's going to shatter that number just like I expected. Um, off the field, I love the crowd. I, I, it's another thing that's disappointing because the crowd was out. They were loud. It was hot. 50, but they got there. They got there early. 53,000 people for an 11 o'clock game yeah. in Labor Day weekend. Yeah, new record. A new Amon G. Carter Stadium record. And uh, you were one of the guys there. You're one of the guys there. How how was that? How was that in the stands? And I want you to get into the story. People that aren't friends with you on Facebook, because I was I was sharing your story with my family, because I'd never heard anything like it myself. And I'm going to tell you right now. Well, you go ahead and tell me. I'm going to tell you what else I I had to say about it. But tell us about tell us about the game atmosphere, and tell us about. Your crazy trip getting back to Memphis. <clears throat> well, the the atmosphere was great. The crowd w- was amazing. Other than you know the concourse was packed, but that's that's what happens. You get you get that more people in there than normal. It's gonna it's gonna be packed, and the lines were long. My my favorite part of being in the stadium actually was when they unveiled the college uh, college football playoff um, insignia that was you know sign that was up there on the on the east side so that everybody on camera can see it when it pans to the crowd. I, I, I would, that really brought a tear to my eye, metaphorically. I love seeing that uh, lifted up there because it's culmination of a great season last year. So I was in town for the game, which is not always the case, and I stayed with my brother, who's a season ticket holder, that I was able to sit with him. And he's, he lives out in McKinney, so I stayed with him so I didn't have to stay for a hotel. I'm notoriously cheap, which is going to tell you a little bit about this story I want to lead into, Jeremy. So... I always book my flights on Expedia. I get my points, and I always know how to price watch, and they'll drop my prices for me as the prices get better. So I got a flight for barely $200 round trip from Memphis to DFW and back. I flew down Friday morning, flew back Sunday morning, easy flight, going down, get to my brother's. We go to Heim Barbecue. We go to go to the game. And then we're back in McKinney, and we're watching. Was it North Carolina, South Carolina? My phone goes off and says that – my flight has been delayed from 9.30 to 11.15 or 11.30, something like that. And so I get on and I realize, oh, I should probably go ahead and download my boarding pass. And I realize that I can't find this airline that I'm flying on. And I thought it was flying on Southwest. And, I'm, and it turns out I'm flying on Southern Airlines Express, which I'd never heard of. And I do about two minutes worth of inter- internet research, which I should have done weeks ago. And it turns out they don't even have a terminal at DFW. And so they say, go drop your car off and call this number and we'll come pick you up. And I'm at what's called the corporate terminal of DFW. And so they drop me off at what feels like a, like an airport hangar. And I walk in and there's these dirty seats and this dude behind a laptop. And he says, oh, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I got a flight. And he goes, oh, it doesn't leave till like 1130. And I sit down and nobody's there at 1115 for this flight. 
And then finally, the other seven or eight people walk in at like 11.25. He takes attendance like it's elementary school, walks us out to the runway, and we get on a nine-person airplane. It's like a 380 Cessna that can hold 11 people, nine passengers, and the the two pilots. There's no security. There's no TSA check. And you get on, and he closes the door, and he makes me – I'm sitting in the back on the exit row – and he makes me push a push a lever down. He goes, "Don't open that lever. You'll be you'll fall right out." <laughs> it's like six inches from me. If I swing my foot up, and so I have a layover. And we never get above ten thousand feet. I text a few friends of mine and say, "This is what I'm flying." And they said they tracked me on on the flight tracker, like you're looking at a coach doing an interview. They said you never got above ten thousand feet. And I landed for my layover, and I used that in the loosest possible terms in Boone County, Arkansas, which is Harrison, Arkansas. And the guy, we land, he goes, he goes, all right, everybody go in that little building over there, and you can get a Coke from the vending machine, and you probably need to go to the bathroom, and I'm going to fill the gas tank up, and we'll just load back up and fly to Memphis. And so when you get in there, there's a guy behind the checking counter who also works for Avis in budget rental car if you want a car and he's also the guy that waves you out to the runway so we get our food, we you know I get a diet Dr Pepper you know uh, take take a leak come back out we load back up on the plane and then we're flying into Memphis and we land at this part of the FedEx uh uh airstrip that I didn't even know existed and I got to call an basically an Uber to get me back to the rental car where I parked my car. And here's the thing. There's no security. You can have a, a, a luggage bag full of cocaine, and they just put it in the bottom of the airplane for you. Nobody's catching it. And I gave the guy an ID to get on in Harrison, and he looked at it like, you know, like I'm getting carded at a bar. I have to do this, but I'm not even going to worry about it. It was the oddest thing I'd ever heard of. I had no clue that Southern Express Airlines even existed, and I thought I was going to die multiple times And because it's, it's, when there's turbulence on one of those 747s, you're like, oh, they can handle this. They'll just go up to 35,000 feet. Well, the turbulence we were flying through scared the shit out of me, and I had no clue if I was going to make it or not. So anyway, I landed. That's my long, long winding story, but uh, it's cheap, and if you don't, if you're not, if you... Uh, if you think that Spirit Airlines is uppity, Southern Express Airlines is for you. <laughs> well, you've got to tweet out a picture of the plane that you were on so people that listen know what the heck you're talking about. I saw what you posted on Facebook, and I was just I, – I, I read what you wrote to my family. And I looked at the picture of the plane, and I told my wife, I said, there's no – there's zero percent chance I'm getting on that plane. There's no chance whatsoever. And she's looked at me. There's no way I'd get on that. That plane looked like something that flies you to like the nowhere land in Alaska. Like I'm sitting it's there a thinking, crop duster. I'm sitting. It's a crop duster. Yeah. It, and then you're you're talking about the airplane you you're the or the airport you flew into. I'm thinking of like. The little airport in Mr. Deeds, you know, the Adam Sandler movie when they fly in. I'm thinking of like a grass runway, you know. But the biggest question is, is like, you ne- you didn't, you didn't, ha- it, it didn't say anything about this. What is it called? Not South, South, uh, Southern Express. It did. You know, here's the thing, though. 
there are numerous like regional uh, connectors for American, and I figured this is just what it was. So it's it's on me. It's well, on me. Well, would you do it again to save a few bucks? Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. let me promise no, you, no if you ever asked. book, no, no questions asked. if if you ever if you ever call up and say, JC, I could get us, we we got a plane to wherever we're going to go to Provo, Utah, and watch. <laughs> it. I, dude, I got seats for you. You better bet your ass. I'm doing re- I'm I'm doing research. 173 uh, bucks round Jeff? trip to Provo, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. Well, I'm glad you hey, shared you know, that they story. Do, they that. do fly to Morgantown. I did look. They do have a flight to Morgantown. I promise you I'm not getting on that plane. Because the first thing I thought of is turbulence. The, the two things I'm scared about when I fly is the takeoff and turbulence. What I'm turbulence doesn't death. bother me as much as it used to. Yeah, true. Taking off still scares the crap out of me. Um, worst takeoff I ever had on a plane was when the day after the national championship game, the, the runways just soak cause it's pouring down rain in LA and we're just bobbing and weaving all up and down the runway trying to get, you know, get up in the air. And I was on the plane with about probably 50 other TCU fans that probably felt the same way I did. I was so scared. I literally text my wife and thought this might be it. We might be flying off the runway and text her that I love her. And that the plane's about to go off the runway because I didn't trust us to get up in the air. But, well, Colorado's in the rearview mirror. Did I say that right? Mirror? Yeah, it's mirror? in the mirror. But uh, mirror. In the time we so have. We got Nickel State now. We got Nickel State. In just the moment we have left, let's take a moment to uh, celebrate the small victories of life. Texas Tech lost to Wyoming. Jeremy, you and I were both right. Jump off the Joey McGuire train right now. Well, I love that's the only thing that got me in a good mood on Saturday night. I loved watching that game. It was it was close. And it was better because <clears throat> there was a lot of hype around Texas Tech as well. A lot of hype around TCU, but I don't think anyone just like TCU in Colorado, I don't think anyone really thought Wyoming was going to beat Texas Tech. And it was kind of if you go to their boards earlier in the day, because that's what I did. I lark on there. After they after they started losing, I was like, you know what? I bet they were talking some smack about the Colorado TCU game. Sure enough, I go to the site, and there they are. They're all laughing. Don't piss off the football gods. I've told people a hundred times, don't piss off the football gods. They, were ma- they will make your night a living hell. It's in the Bible and the Fo- Constitution. Don't piss off the football gods. <laughs> the football gods – were pissed off at Texas Tech, and they were definitely pissed off at Baylor because those fan bases had too much fun talking down about TCU and everything else, and that's karma, man. Don't do it because it's going to come back to bite you. I am old enough to remember the Southwest Texas State Bobcats. Now there is Texas State, but I I don't mind seeing Baylor. If we're going to lose on a big stage – at least Baylor and Tech took the L also, so we don't have to hear it from them all week. They got humbled. They got humbled. So I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. So don't lose to Nickel State this week, folks. Don't lose to Nickel State. No, that also means that uh, cover, Texas Tech, cover Texas, Tech is gonna, 
cover sticks. Texas Tech is going to be 0-2 because they're going to lose to Oregon bad. Well, the way college football is, they'll probably go up there and win that game. No, that game's in Lubbock. That's just how it is. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, they got Oregon. I don't know how well, they might, out, but they, got- they might win that game at home, and then once again, everything will run through Lubbock. Lots of things run through Lubbock. Well, that's all I got tonight, Jeremy. I don't know that I want to talk about Colorado anymore. I think we've kind of, I think we've kind of taken that journey down Amnesia Lane for one last time, as far as I'm concerned. We've had we've had uh, plenty of crow. We're we're grown men. We're, you know, you, you're we more are. of a man when you could admit that you're wrong. We are. And uh, I was certainly wrong about Colorado. So all the Colorado fans that listen to our uh, podcast and are still looking for redemption or all the receipts you've got them use them whatever i mean i was wrong i i fully admit it tcu fans i'm sorry for getting your hopes up but just like josh newton said there's 11 games left jeff and i told told this the other day to jamie remember in 05 you go up you beat oklahoma you're on cloud nine you come back you lose to smu you're at the bottom of the pit, and the next thing you know, they go off and rattle 10 straight wins, finish 11-1, and one, and I think win their bowl game that year. If I'm yep, beat Iowa State down, in Houston. Uh, State down in Houston. Yep, that's right. So, it's still a very, very long football season. It's not a Big 12 loss. It's, you know, maybe. I mean, you know, when it's, it's, it's going to be a – maybe it's going to be a great rivalry moving forward. And that's that's uh, something you want definitely with the the Big Twelve, um, and I can't wait to go back to Boulder when TCU plays them again because I love that trip. But still, a lot of games left, and that's what Josh said. There's there's still eleven games left to be played, and there's still there's still a lot to be attained um, for them. So I'm not going to jump off the cliff. I'm not going to sit here and say my prediction was wrong. My prediction so far is still right. I predicted eleven and one until they lose two. <laughs> I'm still right, by golly. Oh, I love that. Yeah, our prediction is still dead on. It is still dead on. Well, hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. It's not the game we wanted to report on, but we will be here for the highs, highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And uh, hopefully we can come back and, and talk about not only a win over Nickel State, but there's going to be some other games next week. I look forward to, to breaking down Bama's hosting Texas. The, obviously, we talked about Tech is hosting Oregon. There's going to be some good stuff to talk about over the next uh, couple of weeks as the Frogs get ready to go on their uh, first road game of the year to head, to head down to Houston to open Big 12 play. As always, if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com, sign up. Now is the time where you can get all the best information that's going on inside and outside and around the program. Jeremy Clark and Jamie Plunkett have us, have you really plugged into what's going on and have their finger on the pulse of TCU athletics. And if you haven't yet, give us a rating and review, like and subscribe on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We want to continue to get the good word out about the Frogcast. Our numbers continue to be strong, and we'd love for you to tell a friend about what we're doing. So until we get together again next time, hopefully after a win off Nichols, which isn't even a state, for Daniel Southern and Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.